Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I hope everyone is doing well listening to this. Um, back for another episode. My guest on the podcast today, again, is my good friend Julie Hartman Lick. She's been on the podcast a couple other times and she is one of the coolest and one of the smartest people I know. So there is a lot of controversy going on um, right now with things related to critical race theory and some of those situations. So since Julie is a sociologist, I figured she'd be the perfect person to come on and explain to me exactly what the heck is going on. So we had a really fun conversation, had a lot of fun making this episode. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is Julie. I was going to say, but before we get into that, I do want to ask, did you get any of your ink locally? My what? Your ink on your arm. Oh, yes. Yes. Both. Both this one and um, the Cubs tattoo. Okay. I got both of them done at uh, Zealous. Okay. Yeah. They're good? Yeah, very good. Because I, I have something I want here. Okay. I mean, I have other tattoos, none of which I've gotten locally. and uh... it's Notre Dame, I'm taking it. No. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Have you ever been in there? Oddly enough, though, no, I have not. Okay. I was going to say, it is a tiger, but it's not a Detroit tiger. Oh. Is but it... it's a nickname, because my nickname is, is Purple Tiger. Oh, it's where'd that come from? Grad school. Grad school. Yes. I have to hear this story now. It's, it involves a kidnapping of a friend and <laughs> being her uh, bridesmaids on the down low, because we couldn't be her official bridesmaids. How come? Because she had family that was her bridesmaids. Oh, one of those. One of those Obligatory bridesmaids right. rather than want. Correct. It's the family so, versus. So we were the, the renegade bridesmaids. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then when I told Mike about this, he started calling me Tiger. Uh -huh. And it has stuck for the last decade. <laughs> and so I feel like if there's two groups of people across the world who, who know of this story and nickname, that it's probably not a bad idea to right. permanently. Like it's not a passing fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not getting barbed wire. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The, um, yeah, that's... A tribal armband. Right, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, that house there, that's um, one that's of those... the old unicorn. Yeah, yeah, and a couple times I've been in there, and I know I know Josh, who runs the place, um, through a roundabout fashion, years and years ago, I mean, years ago when we were kids, we were in Indian Guides together. Oh, wow. At YMCA. Which is back into the no longer appropriate. Yeah, things yeah, and we house. actually we actually laughed about that. It was <laughs> and it was. I was an Indian princess. Oh, princess, so I okay. Get it, and I, I'm, I'm horrified <laughs> at, at the fact that I still have somewhere my little like fake plastic bear claw. Necklace. Yeah, I think I have my vest downstairs still oh. somewhere, and it was like the YMT's version of Boy Scouts. Correct. Where it was, yeah, we'd have to put the headbands on with the feather in it. Different feather denoted what tribe you were in. I think and there was a totem pole. As yeah. Well. I mean, it was so... Yeah. Cultural appropriation. It was. Horrifying. Yeah. It, it was. <laughs> on the flip side, um, like the Boy Scouts. I mean, it was a fun father thing. Right. You know, father something to do as a kid. And you learned how to do cool things like, you know, make a candle or, you know, make this in a survival situation. Important life skills yeah. for the 21st century. Right, exactly. You know, if the zombie apocalypse comes, I'm. If anybody needs to know how to make a pancake out of the top of a coffee can, I can do it. You know, but, 
But yeah, if it didn't have to be called Indian Guides, that would have been that would have been phenomenal. Yeah, Indian Guides, and then went to Winnebago High School, where it was the Indians. And of course, everything in this area is the Indians. Correct. Pecatonica Indians, Stockton Blackhawks, which at least that I don't know denotes a person. Actual. Right. Specific as opposed to a general right. derogatory or, you know, yeah. outdated term. Now, the question I have is um, when we're talking about those kind of mascots, is there, in your opinion, I guess, is it a straight up black and white, good, bad, or is there some gray area there? I think there's worse and terrible. <laughs> right. Like, I don't, I don't think any of them are good, mm-hmm. um, particularly when, you know, like, we just, I mean, Canada, right, just had their shameful uncovering yeah. mass graves. We've had those as well in the United States, and a lot of people don't realize the last Indian boarding school in the U.S. closed in 1996. What? Which is, right, like, what? correct. <laughs> right, this is not, like, way back history, right? Like, we were alive then. Yeah. Um, so... I think given that, we really just can't, we're not removed enough to have any kind of, the way we might with like, you know, a different type of mascot, have a, a more Like removed, the Trojans or right, the Spartans. Like we're, we, the Spartan War was quite a while ago, <laughs> right. I think we're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we can't do that. And I think, you know, like I said, there's there's also the really terrible ones where it's like a caricature. Oh, right? like yeah. The, Chief Wahoo, the Cleveland say, I, Indians. And I know they changed the Cleveland Indians yeah. a little, but still didn't really. But I'm like, yeah, the, the buck-toothed like, yeah. caricature is really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of like shades of gray for how bad it is. Not necessarily that there's any Oh, that one's okay. Good, right. Yeah. Because like, one of the ones that made the big stink out of it was Florida State and the Florida State Seminoles. Seminoles. And they were like, hey, listen, we got permission from the actual like Seminole tribe that this is okay. How much of it was they started using it, and then once it became a problem, gave some money to them, right, and they went, yeah, sure. Money, uh, right. Which, hey, you know, I mean, if, if that is beneficial, mm-hmm. you know, good, good for the Seminoles for taking the money, because at least they got something right. uh, after <laughs> after everything else was taken. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I certainly can't begrudge them for taking that, right. that deal. But it's not, a, it's not a fair deal, mm-hmm. right? Like, Yeah, when all is said and done... Right. They didn't come from equal positions of power to negotiate. <laughs> right. Well, and there was a, quite a bit um, of fuss around here a few years ago when um, University of Illinois got che- rid of Chief Alinawick and all kinds of people were up in arms. And you, there are times I wonder when I think about that, like how much of that is you really are upset that more respect is being paid to indigenous or you just don't like change, which I think has right. a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, we get really hung up on the idea of tradition. Um, mm-hmm. And anything that feels like a tradition, which is different from actual traditions, right. right? Like, some things feel like they're timeless, but actually you find out, like, oh, this just started, like, a few years ago, and we just all felt like it was something, you know, like like the national anthem before sports, right? Right. That's not something that goes back generation upon generation, right? Right. Um, so those kinds of things, I think, you know, people sometimes feel like you're messing with the tradition, it's not really tradition, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Well, I can understand how it can be frustrating if you're an Illini fan and you've been an Illini fan for a long time and you've got jerseys and jackets and flags that all which, have cheap... Which just went up in price value. Right, now yeah. they're a rare item. Right. So you can sell them on eBay uh, for much more than you paid for them. So right. I, I 
feel too bad. <laughs> but I'm saying if you have, have an excuse to buy new gear now. Right, so. yeah. But I'm saying if you have all that stuff and then one day the NCAA tells you, by the way, that's all offensive. You know, I you know, that's I think that like I said, that's where you get a lot of I think the anger from. Not that, you know, if you have to look a group of Native Americans in the face and tell them F you you'd probably feel a little bit differently about it, especially when it's like an organization like the NCAA that you can just right. put all your hate on and, you know, and then it unfortunately becomes a social commentary on top of it that you're taking side in and, and that's just... And then it's like the whole masking thing, back to where we started with the yes. conversation. Like yes. It suddenly becomes the symbol of everything as opposed to stopping and actually... Right, like really, is it that important to you to wear an Illini sweatshirt right. as a picture? You know, like mm-hmm. really... Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. does your life revolve around that? I, I mean, maybe if you got the tattoo, maybe right, maybe that, yeah, because <laughs> oh, you have yeah. to rework that. But, yeah. Um, and, yes, don't get your school mascot tattooed. On. Right. Yeah, I never did get one of Bego Indians I, tattooed. I do not have a you husky know? nor a Spartan anywhere <laughs> on my body. Um, I have a friend though that got a husky. So, oh, really? Yeah. Well. Husky's not offensive, though. No, like, I don't see that change. Like, 20 years down and the road, they're like... I too upset about Sparty, either. Right, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. they're neither here nor there, and the current people who live in Sparta could really care. Right. So, you know. But probably, yeah. the middle ground for that, because I get this question a lot being, as you well know, a huge Notre Dame fan. I get that question, like, is fighting Irish offensive? And I kind of say no hesitantly. Like, I don't think so. Like, I've never heard any Irishmen get upset about it. You know, I don't... Um, well, someone who just discovered I'm Irish. No, um, <laughs> I, I just found out my husband's half Irish, and I have been... Dealing with that? For 10 years, we've been together, and I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. So my daughter's Irish? Uh-huh. Um, I had no idea. Um, so I'll speak to that as a new Irish person. Okay. Well, um, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> you poor listeners. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, for one... Historically, the Irish eventually became white. Right. So, the stereotypes and the... I mean, right, like, historically, there were signs that said, you know, Irish need not apply. Right. And those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I often use the Irish as one of my examples and talk about the social construction of race, how a group that is white today was treated as non-white and defined in a way, right? Like, what's, most of us, if you have an Irish person and an English person standing next to each other... Can't tell the difference. You're Caucasian, right? Right. You're a white person. I I don't know. Your accent's a little different, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but historically, right, it was a different story, and and the Irish were, you know, uh, not the bottom of the barrel because we had a racial hierarchy where they were still white-ish. Yeah. But they weren't white. They mm-hmm. weren't considered part of the the white group in our society. So I think it's problematic, um, and it's problematic again when you have. Stereotypes about fighting, drunkenness, yeah. <laughs> going along with the Irish. And it's, you know, a depiction that is um, certainly not, you know, favorable or accurate of, of Ireland. Yeah. Um, that's kind of... I've never heard an Irishman argue against those stereotypes, though. You know what I mean? They're normally like, well, that's what we do, you know. It, it depends. And there's, of course, a big difference between Irish-Americans right. and people in Ireland. Yeah. Right? So, people in Ireland even know that Notre I'm Dame not, exists. Probably only when their idiot American cousins send them fighting Irish right. gear or something like well, that. Well, they did play a game there called, they played a game against Navy in Dublin. Yeah. And that was kind of like, oh, the fighting Irish are in Ireland. That's... Which would be weird. 
weird, right? Like, if you went to a stadium and they were like, the Fighting Americans are playing today. Right. Like, That's a weird mascot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why is there, like, a guy in a, you know... New Balance shoes, shoes. And, a, <laughs> and a polo shirt. <laughs> Cargo shorts. Right. Wearing some dad sandals and right. socks. You know? What's up with that? Yeah, the Fighting Americans. That would be... Um, yeah, no, I think the rest of the world has probably seen enough of that, that right. they don't They're, want a mascot on top yeah. of it, so crazy. So um, I originally asked you to come here because there's this huge like controversy going on right now about critical race theory, as it is called, and as my listeners well know, I am like borderline a Neanderthal. And, like, you typically don't understand what's going on. I'm at least smart enough to say I'm not commenting on that because I don't know what's going on. So, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think part of the problem is that the people who don't know what's going on don't realize they shouldn't be commenting on it and Mm -hmm. are commenting on it, in some cases passing laws, because... Um, you know, I heard a great analogy, which was, if, if I don't think the theory of gravity is true... I would have to understand the theory of gravity and something about physics and then disprove it by, like, levitating, right? Mm -hmm. I can't just say I don't like it. Let's get rid of gravity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we've seen kind of that with critical race theories. People don't even understand what it is. Um, It's not a curriculum. It's not not even content, really. It's It's a theoretical framework or a theoretical lens. It's a practice that you can use when talking about different issues around race Mm -hmm. and so it's i'm not it's like you're banning an idea essentially right which is problematic you know even if you just care about the constitution democracy banning ideas uh you know sounds troubling Mm -hmm. um but also you know as as a sociologist especially like i'm not even sure how to talk about my discipline and how we view race sociologically without talking about things that are foundational to critical race theory. Like, mm-hmm. I, I often don't use the term critical race theory in class because it's just the perspective we use. Mm-hmm. Um, what is critical race theory? We'll start there. Yes. Webster's defines it yeah, as. Webster's, no. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot um, to talk about there. And I actually wanted to, like, pull some things out because while I use critical race theory... Um, there are far more eloquent folks than I who talk about it, and I thought, you know, um, that makes a lot of sense. So there's basically six what might call tenets of critical race theory. Um, the first is that race is something that's socially constructed. It's not a biological fact. And science supports this, mm-hmm. right? If we look at our DNA, if we look at all of this, who we are biologically, we are the same. Right? Mm-hmm. There, there are no separate species or subspecies. We are all human beings. Um, and so, so race and the significance of it and the different categories we create and the differences we see from those categories is based on environment and society, not our genes. What we term in sociology colorblind racists love that part and stop at that part, mm. right? Because it sounds really awesome. We're all the same and race doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Right? Yeah, that'd be a that. great place yes. to stop. Because <laughs> well, right. because in an ideal world, we would just right. say in the ideal world race wouldn't matter. Right. Right. Um, and and the problem is, of course, we're in a world where while it's not real, it matters. Mm-hmm. And and so um, 
you know, it's a social construct that was created by white colonialists to basically allow for systems to be created, such as slavery, um, based on a, th a notion of, you know, whites being superior and, you know, create an economic system that otherwise would not have been created, right? Like, you can't just come up with something like that <laughs> unless you have a way of categorizing a group of people as less than human, mm -hmm. and we can do this to them, right? So um, that's kind of the first tenet, though, is that race is something we humans created. Um, you know, it was created... It's, it's not something we see thousands of years ago. It was, you know, in, in terms of human society, a relatively recent concept mm -hmm. um, in terms of, of, you know, white colonization. The second component is that racism is um, systemic rather than an aberration. To give an example, what happened to George Floyd is not the system being broken, it's the system working exactly as it's designed to. Right. Mm -hmm. So racism is not, you know, a, a random outcome. It is the system working as it should. I think that's the piece where a lot of folks get freaked out by critical race theory because, you know, it, it's, it's nice. The first piece, like I said, if you can do full stop, right, <laughs> race doesn't matter. Then you can ignore that, for example, the gap in homeownership is larger today than it was 50 years ago, mm -hmm. right? If, if things are getting better or if, if race stopped mattering after the civil rights movement, we wouldn't see greater racial disparities in a lot of ways, um, in a lot of areas, I should say. And, and that's not to say there has been progress. I mean, obviously, we got rid of slavery. Good progress there. Right. right? But that there are still these systems in place. Um, another analogy I, I like to use with my students is that these systems keep perpetuating racism even if the people embedded in them aren't racist. So mm -hmm. like policing and things like that. Even if you don't have individual police officers who are racist, if the system is racist, it still perpetuates racism. Right. And so a good analogy of that is if, let's say a hundred years ago, somebody who hated uh, people with disabilities built uh, a building, right? And because they hated people with disabilities, they didn't put in any ramps, they made the hallways really narrow, the doorways really narrow, right? They just made it completely inaccessible for somebody in, say, a wheelchair with mobility issues. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. The building has been sold. There's new owners, right? That new owner might not be, oh, I hate people with disabilities. They might not be ableist. Mm -hmm. But they've got a building now that's completely inaccessible. Right. And so unless they take affirmative action to remedy that, their building will continue to be ableist. Yeah. Right? And it's the same with racism. Unless we kind of put a, you know, press stop on the system and change it, if it just keeps going as it is, it's just perpetuating that same racism that was in place, you know, when we had slavery, when a lot of these systems started to be created. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> I think that's where the, the biggest friction is. Because people don't want to admit that the system is racist to begin with. I mean, right. so much of that stuff was originally created in a way specifically to exclude races, sexes, you know. It was meant to be the, you know, white Anglo, you know, Saxon Protestant. And um, as time goes on and the system just keeps going and keeps rolling, people forget about why it was established, but don't bother to question why it still functions that way. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all throughout society and in multiple different systems. And I think also the third tenet of critical race theory 
gets people's hackles up, which is that um, basically black people's disadvantages benefit white people as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard to acknowledge, right? Like, no, I think I think most people don't want like there to be oppression. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But to acknowledge like, oh, I've benefited from that and my life might not be as good. Mm-hmm. I might not have as much as I do. And that's not to say people don't work for what they have, right? And obviously, and I'll talk about intersectionality, which is another piece of critical race theory. I mean, class, gender, those things come into play too, right? It's not like race is the only stratifying thing in our society. Yeah. But, you know, we as as white people have to acknowledge that not only are there, you know, was, is the system designed to disadvantage um, particularly black and indigenous people, although it has often also worked against other, um, you know, people of color, we've benefited from that, mm-hmm. right? And I think the current battle over voting rights really demonstrates this, right? Because our, our country demographically has shifted for quite some time, but even just, even in areas where there hasn't been a major demographic shift, enfranchising more voters has um, in many ways, diluted white votes. Right? right. That's how it's seen, at least. Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of these pushes against voting rights because you know what happens when everybody votes? Different people get elected. Right. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. Um, and so unless you're speaking to the, you know, to the needs of your entire constituency, mm-hmm. um, you're not going to get elected unless you somehow game the system in your favor. Yeah. And, and make sure it benefits you. And so that's, again, a... a contemporary issue right this is not we're not talking about jim crow voting issues we're talking about right now the law is being passed yeah and um it's amazing because it all gets sort of passed and pushed through under this notion of you know this patriotic flag waving thing of voter fraud which is so minuscule and so virtually non-existent but you know we're going to restrict 20,000 people from voting to prevent seven votes from accidentally going in the wrong ballot box. The math of it doesn't make any sense, but that's the real easy thing to get behind. And it's it's interesting how the biggest push has been in states that were classically red that went blue this last election. Because those states, I mean, right, like, I don't, I, I recently drove through Georgia. Um, <laughs> people, people often think of the South is as white. That is not... It's not true. Numerically true. That's where the slaves were. Right. And and while there was the Great Migration, Mm -hmm. most of those freed people stayed where they were, Mm -hmm. right? Or relatively close by. And so, yeah, so when you start making sure everybody votes, you have a different demographic of people that are voting. And the same, the politicians that for a long time were elected, um, you know, the reality is there is less white... um, power as you know as a group there um if everybody's voting Mm -hmm. right that's not to say white people won't get elected it's that they're gonna have to speak to the issues right are are pressing for their their constituents they can't just play good old boy politics and stay in office and they certainly can't be trying to you know get rid of voting rights and get rid of you know critical race theory Mm -hmm. (laughs) things like that yeah yeah wow Okay, what was the next one? All right, so there's there's six. Six. So then we're on four, All right. so just so you can follow along at home. Um, differential racialization um, based on racial stereotypes. Critical race theory 
posits that uh, as white people, we are taught about whiteness in ways that create space between us and others, mm. right? Based a lot on stereotypes. What this means is that if you essentially think of uh, blackness as dangerous, mm-hmm. then the police stopping more black people makes sense. Right. More yeah. black people being in prison makes sense. Mm-hmm. And also, acts of racism are more dehumanized, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, those are, are easy things to point at, but I think sometimes even things that are designed to show the horrors of racism for a white audience still end up kind of othering. Um, I know watching, and I'll be honest, I did not watch the entirety of the George Floyd. I couldn't, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think about how, as a white person, when I view that, even even though it tugs at my human compassion, Mm -hmm. there is a difference between me watching it and if I were a black woman watching someone who looks like my child. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. And the fact that that's, that's there is part of that differential racialization. Mm-hmm. That, that there's still, as much as I you know, work on being anti-racist and all of that, there's still going to be a difference between how I see me and mine that does not include it's, everybody. It's how much you relate to it. Right. right. Yeah. And there's still a separation, right? And obviously somebody who's like, you know, blatantly... KKK member sees other, you know, the other is, is subhuman and not deserving of, of consideration. There's sort of gradations of that, but there's still a separation where it's it's easier to accept. Um, and I think we see this also in a lot of white people saying, "Well, not not so fast. Let's let's have slow progress, right? Um, if your people are being brutalized and murdered, you don't." Slow progress ain't good enough. Right, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And so saying, well, we don't want too much too fast too soon is part of this as well. That we are able to separate ourselves from the pain that is is happening Uh right in front of us. um, Sort of, and not feel it in the same way that the people who are are on the receiving end of racism feel it. Why can't we do too much too fast? Oh, I think we can. Like, does something break (laughs) along the way? uh... My whole life has been too much too fast. (laughs) Right. What are you talking about? Um... But yeah, I mean, I think, I think, right again, people, we, we can't even change mascots without people Oh my God, out, right? yeah. So I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's that pushback. Mm-hmm. And anytime you have a change, I mean, right, like I'm a sociologist, we study these changes. Anytime you have a change, there's going to be pushback. Um, but I think we need to get to a point where, where those of us who are white and, and aspire to be anti-racist need to kind of recognize like no we need radical change and i think that's where um oftentimes there are some gaps Mm -hmm. well especially since it feels to me like um if you go through the history of the country and if you take uh, an area of any town that's predominantly black and you spend decades after decades underfunding public works in that area underfunding schools in that area Therefore, you know, not a lot of factories and stuff are building there. There aren't a lot of jobs. And then on top of it, to deal with it, you over-police it. And the police just sort of go in with an us-versus-them attitude and just let's break some skulls and taser some people and put them in cuffs and drag them away. That isn't in any way, shape, or form a path to a better place. That that just perpetuates a cycle. 
And then it just gets even worse because then politicians say, why would we put more money into that side of town? It's overrun with crime. It's already broken. Why would we try to put money into that? Exactly. And it just... you're, you're never going anywhere. A hundred year, if you keep doing that a hundred years from now, it'll be exactly the same, if not way worse. You know, right. it's not just going to magically, you know, everybody who lives in those neighborhoods all of a sudden isn't going to one day wake up with a Harvard degree and a, you know, $25 an hour job and everything's going to be great. You know, there has to be some work put into that. You know, that's, uh, that's what frustrates me the most about some of these where it's just, it becomes, and I think it's like what you said, it becomes real easy to just dehumanize it and write it off. Just say, oh, well, that whole part of town's lost. We don't go over there. We don't deal with it. And whatever happens over there, well, they kind of had it coming. Right. You know I mean, what I mean? People talk about crime in this town, but it's very much segregated, right? Right. As far as where the crime is happening. I mean, we talk, I mean, let's face it, all of us live on bad streets mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah. far as the road conditions, right? Like, <laughs> we all have potholes that we curse on a daily basis. Right. But, I mean, I drive over in some of the east side streets, and I'm like, this is a street? Like, there's grass growing up in the middle of it. Like, how did that happen, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, so, there's, and and that might seem like a little thing, but, right, like, how are you going to even feel okay in your neighborhood if the rest of the city has forgotten you exist? Right. um, Or only remembers you exist when the police come in and, you know, have a crime sweep. Right. Um, So, yeah. Well, if you're a little kid growing up in that area, and that's the environment you grew up in, and your only ever interactions with authority are negative and severely negative, you know, as you know, your environment sort of molds who you are. I mean, what kind of person is that? You look at your, you know, buildings that are falling apart, your streets that are so cracked you can't even ride your bike down it. You see how much people care about you, right? And you learn to care that much about yourself, right? <laughs> and every time the police by, drive by, they're glaring at you to see what you're up to. I mean, you just I'm a big advocate for community policing. For um, sure. Where, you know, you get to know the people in the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. then also, you know, for one, they get to know you. And that's always good. But also, you know, you know who's just a kid riding their bike and who isn't. Right. right. And I think that makes policing actually more effective. Mm-hmm. But um, it's hard. There aren't necessarily incentives for um, police officers to be more engaged. Right. You mean, mm. again, you need you need systemic change. Um, in order to make those kinds of things happen. Oh, for sure. Top to bottom. Yeah. Big time. That can go too far. Our, and I only say that because our sheriff across the street finally moved out. <laughs> <laughs> the commu- community policing sheriff. Not a, a, a listener of your podcast. No, no. I would, maybe she is. I don't know. If she is, we're glad you moved. Um, um, <laughs> I do want to say, though, on that note, just kind of as a side note, um, I don't know if you've ever looked at the lead risk assessment map of, oh, our, of our town. No. Um. <laughs> lead? You're not talking light bulbs, right? No, no. I'm, I'm talking like lead that causes brain damage oh, and behavioral problems. Like in the pipes and stuff? Yeah, and in the ground, in the dirt that pe- kids play in. No, I talked briefly with uh, Carl Ute about that yeah. back when the pandemic was just started. But the problem is he was on my podcast, and I want to say that subject came up. And you know me. I like, oh, okay, that's interesting. By the way, did you hear about... Right, here's three so, other things that are So a year ago, oh, yes. I remember this entering my brain, but anyway, go ahead. I, well, I would encourage folks to take a look, and you can look at the lead risk, whatever community you live in, if you're not a Freeporter. But in Freeport, I mean, it's it's um, West Avenue is a bright dividing line in our town. Really? Where it's pretty much either 9 or 10 out of 10, but that's the worst, on the other side of that. And over here, you might have a pocket that hits a 4 or 5 out of 10, but for the most part, you know low risk and and 
you know, that has repercussions in terms of, I, um, you know, test scores, ability to concentrate. I mean, just, you know, early exposure to lead creates a whole host of problems mm-hmm. for people. And so, you know, I think about some of the issues we have here in Freeport with the school district and, and discipline and behavior. And I'm like, well, has anyone been checking kids' lead levels? Right. Um, because... Whoa, that's you fascinating. Know, it's, it seems like there might be some something to at least look at and uh-huh. see what kinds of... Um, environmental pollution might be behind some of that right you know i mean it's not all just kids behaving right (laughs) most kids want to actually behave and get good positive attention Mm -hmm. so um i think that's worth looking into but i digress um point five five intersectionality um as i said earlier right racism is not the only construct in our society where we divide people and and put them into different groups and say you're better than this person right um and the experiences of a person we don't we don't fit in one box right you and i both identify as white Mm -hmm. but i identify as a woman right (laughs) i i have actually never asked you but in most of our uh interactions i assume you identify as a man yeah i'm pretty sure Um, i've never extensionalized it that way but yeah sure so right so We've had different experiences of what whiteness even is like. Right, right? yeah. Um, and, you know, my experience of my gender is going to be different than it is for a black woman or a Latina or, you know, different groups, right? So, um, and then you factor in, like, social class, right? I mean, let's face it, um, Bill Cosby. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I went there. Um not exactly a typical black man getting out of jail having been railroaded by a prosecutor, right? right. Um, because he has a social class position very different. Um, you know, I mean, let's face it, especially when you consider that many of his, um, I'll use the word alleged, but that's, I'm using it not wanting to. There's a um, lot of smoke in the room for there not being a yeah. fire, let's put it that way. Um, you know, many of his victims were white women, mm-hmm. right? And generally speaking, black men raping white women does not, like... That whole Emmett Till thing. <laughs> three, to, three to ten yeah. is, like, a very light sentence for that, yeah. right? Like, I mean, in the, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, like you meant Emmett Till, like, he didn't even... He didn't even actually do anything. Yeah, and all right? it was was a cat call, wasn't right. it? Right, yeah. I, I think he actually just winked. I mean, it wasn't yeah. even like, you know, I mean, I've, I've had worse walking down the street. Not that that makes it okay. Right, like, yeah. Nobody should die right. uh, because they, you know, whistled at a white woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I definitely, you know, we have to keep in mind that, like, social class certainly, um, as well as being a man, you know, kind of, all of those things come into play. So, Critical race theory, even though race is there in the title, um, is very aware that race is not the only thing. Race is maybe the, the central lens, but gender, sexuality, social class, um, you know, I mentioned things like ableism, right? It is very different to be an able-bodied person versus somebody with a disability and how you experience racism um, is different depending on those things, right? right? So critical race theory takes into account that we don't all fit in one box and that our experiences and how the system that I mentioned, you know, the, the different systemic um, aspects of racism in our society treats us are different. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly is the idea that representation matters. Yeah. Um, critical race theory argues that we should center voices of color um, based on the idea that folks from those groups are more likely to be able to represent the needs and interests and experiences of those groups. 
Um, but with sort of a little asterisk here because we don't want to be a sensualist, right? Going back to point one, mm -hmm. race is not a biological category. Um, I always point out that, you know, while I like seeing more women at the table, simply having a vagina doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with you, right? Or that your right. experience will be the same as mine. Yeah. So, you know, representation matters. It can't be the only factor. And we also have to keep in intersectionality, right? If you have a, a room full of 10 black men making decisions, it doesn't necessarily mean that black women will benefit from those decisions. Right. right? Um, but that somebody with those experiences is at least going to be more likely to mm. bring those issues up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so representation is important mm. and that we need to, um, you know, for, for critical race theory, this is often looking at representation of politics, right? Having a government, having those who are making these laws that we talk about as being racist. Um, you know, if, if the Senate was talking about voting rights, and looked like our country, mm -hmm. this conversation will be very different. Right. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the sixth point, which I think, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the most controversial other than it does mean that some people have to give up seats at the table. Right. right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, in when the table can't be made bigger. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we have X number of, of House of Representatives and Senate members and some, you know, we have to have representation, boards, corporations, you know, all of these things mm -hmm. need to, in order to even become aware of some of these issues of systemic racism, need to start having more people who have had experiences of that and can speak to that, to, right. to bring it up. Well, when you look at um, Congress and you look at the demographics where it's majority, majority white, majority male, majority over 60... And majority, at least upper middle income upbringing. Right. How are you going to relate to a kid on the east side of Freeport with high LED levels and be right. able to sympathize? It, you know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the George Floyd thing, you know, where it was, you know, if this was a bunch of uh, Harvard kids in a dormitory that some calamity had happened, we'd have laws changed overnight because that's kind of what, you know, lawmakers are relating to. If you can't possibly relate or even attempt to, or even understand what, you know, I know, um, Going back to Hurricane Katrina, mm. right, which, mm -hmm. way back, and, and uh, you know, George Bush got called a racist. Um, I have no love for George Bush. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that man ever did that impressed me is that he supposedly runs a sub eight mile, so <laughs> that's, that's about it. Right. Um, but... I don't think he was, like, blatantly racist. Like, mm -hmm. he wasn't like, ha, 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 I will destroy black people, right? right? I think it did not occur to him or anyone in his advisors that a plan that essentially amounted to, okay, everybody, you need to evacuate, gas up your car, drive north and check into a hotel room, uh -huh. didn't work for a population where the majority of people didn't own a car. Right. <laughs> like, it's, well. it's, right, like... Somebody has to be in the room to be like, Ahem, maybe Mr. that President. won't work, right? Like, so I think that's, and that's where the representation piece comes in, is that, right, like, I know for me, um, at my previous uh, employer, I was, I was very vocal about maternity leave and lactation rights, mm -hmm. um, because I knew I was in a position where I had enough power and enough pull to, to get some things to change. Mm-hmm. 
But the reason things weren't done isn't because, like, people in the administration were like, oh, we don't want faculty to be able to, you know, express milk while they're on campus. (laughs) It was that, like, literally, you know, we had a president and six vice presidents, all of whom were men. Mm -hmm. They had never lactated on campus before. Right, yeah. Right, they didn't, they were like, you can't just go in a bathroom? I'm like, no. No, right? Like, that's not happening. So, right, like, it, it, it does matter because I think a lot of times it's just that people don't, you know, and we are, we're all guilty of this. Unless you hear, unless you're going to listen to other people's experiences, you don't know what to even bring up at those tables, right, at those yeah. places. So I think that representation is important. Um, and that's not to say people can't be good allies and listen. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have learned pretty much everything I know about racism from listening to friends of mine who have, you know, who are people of color that have confided in me their own experience, have have been vulnerable enough to tell me, like, here's how it is, Jules. Yeah. Because as a white person, I don't experience that. I mean, there was one time I was, I had a weird mistaken for Asian experience. What? Yeah. Okay. I know, some woman accosted me in a Whole Foods in Virginia (laughs) and and used a racial slur for my Asian-ness. And I'm like, I'm not even Asian. (laughs) I don't know what, how to respond to this. Right. Right. Yeah, my differential socialization <laughs> as a white person, no one taught me how to respond to racial slurs directed uh, yeah. at me. So I'm like, I got nothing for this. But yeah, so, you know, but I don't, I don't have those experiences, right? So mm-hmm. I can't know unless I listen to people. And even then I can't really know, but I can at least try to advocate. Right. Um, and that's an important piece, I think, of, of critical race theory is that people need to be advocating for change in mm-hmm. these spaces so that those systems get changed, right? So that... The, the handicapped inaccessible building eventually when the new owner is not just a, a jerk who hates handicapped people get some ramps and yeah. some, you know some elevators I was just reading a, a, or listening to a podcast that was talking about um, a, a building where they were like well it's handicap accessible because they have a handicap stall in the bathroom and the woman was like but you don't have a button on the door to open it how do you open the bathroom door in a wheelchair and I'm like, that is a good point. That yeah. I really couldn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, I usually see the button on the door. So I guess that's why they're there. Because otherwise you can't get into the bathroom. Yeah. Like, you know, it's great. You have a toilet I can use. I can't get to the toilet, right? So mm-hmm. um, people need to be in positions and listen to to make those kinds of, of systemic changes. Mm-hmm. Well. And I don't think <coughs> any of that's just all that scary. No. I think when, no. when you break it down. um well, well, that, that's the issue that we talked about is that you can have, and I, I've often felt that there's one of the issues is, is that there is a, a difference between active racist or active sexist or any of those is and passive, like not even realizing it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I'm, I'm 41. There's the people I avoid and there's the people I educate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and part of it is, you know, I, I'm 41 years old. I, I'm a white male who grew up in the Midwest. Um, when I was in my teens and twenties, was have I ever, ever in my life told a racist joke? Yeah, yeah. It was a different time, but the important thing is you grow past that. You eventually look back and realize, you know, I should probably stop using that word. Um, you know, there was a period in time, especially in the nineties, where calling somebody gay was like the king of teardowns. Like, dude, quit being gay. You know, you, you said it all the time. And then you start feeling, you get a little mad when people start telling you you shouldn't be able to use that word. And you're like, I love that word. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I dislike people who are homosexual. Because I never felt that way once in my life. But man, I really like that word. I like using that word. But you have, you got to have, um, you know, my mom would call a come to Jesus moment. Right. <laughs> you know, you got to be like, 
You know, you got to be honest with yourself. You probably just need to stop calling people gay just because you want to. Unless they are <coughs> gay and they're your friend. And they're right. Friends. Yes. Gay yes. But I think that's where the rub is, though, right? Because when we have these systems oh. that were built that were racist, sexist, and came up this way, um, people don't, A, don't want to acknowledge that it's a problem and they don't want the change when it requires a level of, in some cases, monumental upheaval to right the, pri- right the prior wrongs, yeah? Yeah, I mean, in some cases, we have to throw out previous systems and start from scratch, right? Because that's, and I think that's the piece where I talk about, like, we have to, I, I think a lot of, of white people who say, oh, it's too much, too fast, too soon, it's because they want to tweak the existing system. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is when you're tweaking the existing, right, like you're putting the handicap stall without the push button to get into the yeah. bathroom. Like, mm-hmm. you're not really fixing the problem. And sometimes maybe we just have to tear down the building and get creative, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we... I, I often, a lot of times my students are like, man, sociology can be really pessimistic. And like, <laughs> but I'm not. Like, I am in love with humanity. Mm-hmm. But despite all of this, I think we are a creative and brilliant species, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we amazing things and we can do this right right? like in the grand scheme of you know figuring out how to control fire and inventing the wheel this should be easy yes um and yet we seem to really struggle with it so Mm -hmm. i think you know i i have um hope and faith that we can do this i know we can do this i don't know how quickly it will happen right um and i i don't you know, I know there's people who feel it's inevitable, right? And a lot of my students sometimes say that, um, or they're, they're of the opinion that the racists are all old people who will die. No. And that then society won't be racist. And again, sure. I'm like, well, you're like the person that inherited the, the building, yeah, right? Yeah, right. You're, you might not be using the N-word anymore, but mm-hmm. that's not really a badge of honor. Like, right. That's, that's a low bar for, mm-hmm. you know, um, what dismantling racism looks like. And so, you know, we, we have to take, again, affirmative action to change things. Mm-hmm. Well, that, um, I, man, I think you nailed it on the head there. And I think that, um, yeah, the whole Black Lives Matter matter movement, boy, I sure sure learned a lot about some of my friends on social media through all that <laughs> real quick. Like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Okay. I will note that for future reference. All right, so that's where you stand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, and I, gosh, it's actually funny you bring all this up. I just saw... A meme this morning that had a picture of a metronome, right, with the needle going back and forth. And on one side it said, I see brighter days ahead for our society. And the other side it said, we're so fucked. And at the title was the title, Me Every Day, back and forth, back and forth. And I feel that way all the time, you know, Um, especially when, you know, I'm not a fan of um, hokey patriotism. I'm not a fan of forced patriotism. Um, And... I don't know. Maybe that's just something that people love to cling to. They love to cling to, you know, the United States of America. We're the best country in the world. If you don't like it and get out. And I'm like, under what scientific argument are you basing this? Yeah, because I'm not sure. We're not. Military spending? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're the best. Okay. You know, we've got... um, Although efficiency in our military spending, I'm not sure we're actually... Right, yeah. We're getting the most bang for our buck. No, no. I don't think we're the best on that. Right. Um yeah, we can uh, we can definitely afford how many billions of dollars for a new aircraft carrier, but we can't get clean water in Flint, Michigan. Cause... I mean, 
you know, I, I don't know if you, I know you had my, my spouse on the podcast, but you guys just talk baseball. But, right. You know, as a, as a veteran, he has lots of thoughts on, on this um, that are, you know, he, he does not like to be congratulated for his service or mm-hmm. thanked for his service or had if any hokiness um, around it because it's sort of like, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as a country, I sort of feel like there are things that I'm proud of. There are things that we that we've, we've done. done. Some great things. You know, I but, mean, you know. when you, when you boil it down to you know your elementary school education, you know, and you think about it, it's like you know, as a as a people, as a civilization, we ran over a lot of things along the way. But my gosh, we conquered a continent. We built cities. We made invent. We invented the airplane. We've been to the moon. And I felt like, for right or for wrong, um, for a lot of American history, there was a roll-up-your-sleeves attitude. Although I do think it's telling that you just said we conquered. Yeah, we that's conquered. why I said. I mean, we, we did literally conquer it. That, and that's and why. I'm not sure we should be like, woohoo, July. <laughs> yeah, right. And well, I, I did preface yes. that by saying I know we ran some right. people we, over along the way. We, we slaughtered a few folks. Right. But there's a difference between that, um, you know, the, the mode of, well... There were still what I mean by the spirit of that is regardless, there were people who had who were literally wearing all that they owned and walked in the woods by themselves and began cutting down trees to build a house. That's the that's the spirit we need to take from it, not the hey, you who doesn't look like me, get out of here. This is mine now, you know. And I think in terms of of loving America, I mean, right? Think about relationships. Mm -hmm. When you have a deep loving relationship. You, you love that person even though you know they have flaws. Right. Right? I mean, I, I, don't, I won't speak for your marriage, but <laughs> I'm aware that my spouse is not perfect and, and I'm, I'm slightly not perfect, you know. Um, I have, I think, one or two flaws maybe. <laughs> Tops. Tops. Um, but, you know, you, you have a stronger relationship, right? Like, if you, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where you pretended, even though there were some serious red flags, yeah, you pretended they weren't yeah. there. I call her ex now, yes. Right, you know, those, uh-huh. those didn't, that didn't work out so no, well for anybody, right? No. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at as a country. Like, mm. we want to, some, some people want to pretend, like, slavery and all that, all that ugly stuff, all the, you know, slaughtering of, of Native Americans, all that, we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. Right. Right, whereas I'm like, we have to acknowledge that happened. Mm-hmm. In order to love this country properly, right. Well, and my attitude is is that if you love something, do you just hightail it when it irritates you, or do you work to make it better? Right. And that's the way I feel about this country. Right, and that's also where yeah, you know, I, I won't get out. I'll, you know, um, I won't even try to horribly paraphrase um, the the saying about you know I love America and that's why I will criticize her forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> Baldwin there, James Baldwin, but. Um, you can Google the quote to get it right. It's much more eloquent than how I just sputtered it out. But, um, yeah. Well, my wife and I, we have a, a clear understanding is that part of our jobs to each other is to call each other on our bullshit. Like, totally. Like, you know, every... To be fair, she does it to me more than the other way around. You know? Because I'll get all worked up about something. I'll tell you what, honey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be this. And she's like, put on the brakes, full stop. No. You're full of shit. None of that's going to work. You're mad. Go have a Snickers. Think it through. It'll make a lot more sense in the end. But the question I have, and I this is, um, I don't know if I brought this up before. I, I wrestle with this question a lot. Because um, <clears throat> as we look back at our history, and to say we have a controversial history is to put it mildly. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't know that 
that it's controversial because that implies that like there's things in dispute. Yeah, that's like, true. We just have a shady. Yeah. We have some abusive behavior. We have some some really drunken narcissistic behavior. Things, right. Some gaslighting. Uh-huh. All kinds of stuff. Well, we we also we really should break up with ourselves. Yeah. I mean, right? Like. There's not yeah. enough counseling on the planet, I think. Right. Um, but. But you know, I, I kind of wrestle with the question: Is is everything when we look back on our history? Is it sort of like what we said earlier? Like because if feels as though it needs to be everything needs to be framed in one category or another you know good bad good bad this was all bad therefore it's bad this was all good therefore it's all good and the only reason i bring that up and this this is where i think things get a little bit complicated one of the people that i admire greatly throughout american history and people listen to this podcast have heard me say this before um, is i know it's cliche but i have always been a big fan of george washington Purely because you are dealing with a very, very rare circumstance in world history where a man was handed ultimate power twice and both times turned it down for the betterment of the people. Both times he just wanted to walk away. Thank goodness he wasn't a selfish judge. Right, yeah. Because oh, yeah. quite frankly, despite the good things we say about him, had the first commander-in-chief been like Thomas Jefferson or even Hamilton, things might have turned out very differently. They might have declared themselves... I am ruler for my life. ...president yeah. slash dictator. Um and we could write volumes and volumes and volumes about all the, the great things that George Washington did for this country. He set a lot of precedents that were very important going forward. Um, on the flip side, he owned slaves. Correct. He definitely owned slaves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I hate to... I always love the expression that whenever somebody says, I'm not a racist, but... It's about to be followed by a whole bunch <laughs> of racists. Yeah. So I hate to put a but in here, but I'm going to. He owned slaves, but there was like this... Um, Less than, like, we just think of slave owning as, um, oh, you own three cars. You jerk. You're not supposed to own cars. And he did own slaves. The The caveat to that is that he inherited them from Martha Custis's dowry and was legally obligated to reimburse the dowry should he free any slaves. Now, George Washington, like a lot of plantation owners, were relatively cash poor. They had to rely on the... You know, all their money was tied up in assets. They didn't just have like millions of dollars sitting in a bank account. On the flip side, upon his death, because he had no heirs, he had no children, it was written right out there in his will that every single last one of his slaves was to be freed and not only be freed, but either be sent to college or sent to be a trade school on George Washington's money so they weren't just released and left walking down the sidewalk. Because once he's dead, Legally, nobody can come after him for the dowry. Correct. On the flip side, did he own slaves? Yes, he did. I think rather than trying to somehow make it sound like his slave owning wasn't so bad. Right, I know. um, (coughs) And again, maybe I have too much faith in humanity, but I feel like we should be able to hold complicated and nuanced ideas in our heads about people. Are you sure you're in the right country? I said it's not humanity because I don't think this is just America. Right, that's true. I I think that we we often create these dichotomous good bad categories. Mm -hmm. And right, like I think about um, you know, I think my first podcast talking to you was during the Me Too stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bill Cosby can be funny and a rapist. Right. Those things are not mutually exclusive. Right. Right. George Washington can be a slave owner. Mm-hmm. and did some really great things for our country. Right. And the two don't, like, one doesn't justify the other. We, right. There's not, like, some sort of moral scale we need to balance here. Mm-hmm. We just have to recognize, like, most people 
don't fit into your either, right? Like, I'm yeah. sure, you know, most people are not pure evil or pure good. Yeah. Right? There's this, like, we have we have good and bad things we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of us, I think, hope that the, the, on the whole, the good outweighs some of our mistakes, but, um, you know, that's for history to determine, right? right. So I think... You know, I, I, I worry when people start saying, well, he couldn't really freeze. Like, he could have, right? right. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, he could have. Like, if, it was, like if, if somebody gifted <clears throat> me some slaves right now, I, I would be like, I will find the money or I will do, you know, like, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I would be uncomfortable with this and I would get rid of this problem. Like, yeah. free these folks. Um, it's possible to do that. He right. could have. He didn't. And we have to live with that. Right. And I don't think we have to, you know, I think pretending that you know, we have to now erase him literally out of the history books, you know, doesn't make sense. I think what we need to do is teach that he did some great things and he also did some not so great things. He was a human being. Right. He was a right. human being in his time mm-hmm. who did what many white men of his time did, right? Right. Um, and I think, you know, we can even look at people today in the same way. Like, there are a lot of people that if we really look at the, their lives... They've done some things that aren't so great. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they weren't good at other things, right? Like I said, right. Bill Cosby, hilarious. I mm-hmm. still like watching the Cosby. I mean, I grew up yeah. with the Cosby show. Yes, right? we both did, um, for sure. Uh, my daughter loves Fat Albert, which mm-hmm. also very problematic. Whoa, yeah. Super problematic. <laughs> In some episodes, we cannot let it. There's one where they like find a, a girly mag. Yes. And I'm like... We are not watching this because there's way that. too much. Like, I have just introduced Ooh. sperm and egg to her. We are not getting into pornography. So, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, things things don't, right? Like, they're, that's just the reality of the human condition mm-hmm. is that we, we should be able to hold contradictory or at least nuanced ideas about people. Mm-hmm. Um and that, and that also, I think, leads to, to more understanding and to believing people, right? I mean, because how many people, especially when the Cosby trials started, were like, but he's so wholesome. Or he's Bill so Cosby. Right? Yeah. Like, as if that somehow means you can't also have done bad things, For right? Sure. Or like, like when somebody says something that is racist, they then pull forward all the not racist things they've done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but that doesn't mean this thing wasn't racist, right? Yeah. Like, it's not... There's not like a, a table where we add this up to, you know, racist or not racist. Yeah, like, come up with a score. Right, you of don't racism. Get a score. Scale of your one percent to ten. of racism. You're six point seven. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, <laughs> I think I think we need to get a lot better as a society and perhaps as we have to you know, as we grapple with these issues of our history, we need to start getting more uh, you know, capable of holding that, that kind of nuance so that we can still have you know the 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 good things in our history that we have right right? but also acknowledge like yep and there was also some really terrible things Mm -hmm. some things that were great for some groups and at the expense of others right right? i mean you know i have family that went out west to uh farm Mm -hmm. that land wasn't theirs right (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm proud of my ancestors who were you know um out there creating the western frontier uh-huh but also you know the indians were such jerks about it though right. you know we were basically splitting at 50 50 and they still had an attitude i don't <laughs> get... <laughs> yeah i guess if somebody showed up in my house and was like i'm gonna take half of this but you still get half right 
that I'm was, like, wait a second. That was a line from, um, if you ever saw the movie A Million Ways to Die in the West, uh, yes. you know, where they they were having a county fair and they're like, oh, this one goes better. We got attacked by Indians last year. Why are they such assholes? We're basically splitting the country. They're just whiny crybabies, you know? <laughs> Obviously, making fun of the. Um, but going back to where we were saying, there's sort, but you know, I think a lot of that comes from we have this as humans, not even as Americans, we have this like psychological need to put everything in a box, to put everything in a bin, and right. say, well, and to, to classify exactly as you were saying. And uh, most things don't fall into that. Like if you think there are, you know, four quadrants you can put stuff in, really, it's more like a kaleidoscope, you know, of a thousand different, you know, and I always. I always um, spent a lot of time thinking about this because it was a question Abraham Lincoln always asked: Is that do we do we judge people empirically or do we judge people based upon the time that they lived in? Now Abraham Lincoln, for his time, was a massive progressive. I mean, he was almost the Bernie Sanders of his time. So much so, half the country quit when he got elected. <laughs> you go through his speeches, especially prior to become president, and the N word has dropped quite a bit, um, especially during the Lincoln Douglas debates. And it was interesting how. His speeches, the tone would change whether he was in Freeport or he was down. He knew his in, audience. Yes. I mean, he, he, again, right, like, he can be a good speaker. Right. Mm-hmm. And also have some terrible ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. That we don't agree with. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, he was one of those people who um, believed um, absolutely no doubt that African Americans should not be enslaved, that slavery was evil. Right. He did, didn't believe in equality. No, he didn't believe in equality. No. Did did he think that if he had a daughter, that his daughter should be able to marry a black man? No, absolutely, absolutely not. not. No. You know, had Abraham Lincoln genetically the man, like if we were to clone him today, and as a baby put him into a modern household and be raised, he obviously, well, man, I just screwed my whole theory. That's not going to work at all. Depend upon what household he ends in. Right. He, he may feel differently or may not. You're right, yeah. But he probably played basketball. Yeah, of Phenomenally. As long as he got enough nutrition. Just I mean, think how tall he is. He's a log splitter, you know. Jeez Louise. <clears throat> but uh, that's uh, but we kind of get into that now. You know, that's one of the things that, um, and I don't know how you feel about it, One of, the, but you mentioned or hinted at it. One of the things that does tend to drive me nuts about the modern left is um, identity politics. Drives me insane. And I think it's just like we were saying, do I think it would be good if, a, I mean, if we just went like full tilt on this, it would be phenomenal if a homosexual, bisexual black woman was president. I think that'd be phenomenal. She better be qualified for it. Kind yeah, you're right. Right. Um, one of my so there's a, a movie, and I used to show in class, but now it's it's kind of dated. But um, it's My Life in Pink. It's a French film. Okay. And it's about a little um, transgender kid, and she likes a boy in her class and um you know she asks this boy uh if i become a girl will you marry me and he goes well it depends what kind of girl you become <laughs> and i liked that because right like it, it gets at that ascent. like just because you are this doesn't yeah. mean right like i mean a lot of people there's been a lot of critique in the lgbtq community about mayor lightfoot in chicago mm-hmm. because yeah she's a lesbian but like if you look at her policies they haven't always been very favorable to the LGBTQ community, right? right? So on the one hand, there's the good representation, like, yay, there's an out mayor that's good for little kids growing up and having self-esteem and pride and all that, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's possible that a heterosexual cisgender white dude could have policies that are right. better for the community. Could, so can still be an asshole. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Because that was always kind of the issue I had with Kamala Harris. 
I had a lot of issues. And people tend to forget that she was a candidate for president. Correct. And that ended when Tulsi Gabbard put two torpedoes on her side in the national debate purely by bringing up her record as DA. And, and you know, and, and to be honest, I mean, I I, um, I I sometimes wonder, I'm like, she did her job as a... I'm like, if, if you're a prosecutor, you have a certain job. To prosecute to people. Prosecute right, people. yeah, yeah. And if you refuse to do that, you lose, like, right, like... Like, if someday somebody was like, well, you were a terrible college professor, and I was like, but I... I just did my job, you know, right. it's like, that's part of my job was to teach people stuff. And now you're mad at me for teaching people stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, yeah. Could she have changed some of those policies? Did she have enough power and pull perhaps mm -hmm. um, that she didn't use? Right. You know, but I'm also like, but we can't like critique every person she put in jail because her job was to put people in jail. Right. And it's, I guess, so, it's, yeah. and I know exactly what you're saying. For me, it was the issue became, um... You know, recordings of several interviews where not only did you prosecute, you laughed about it. You right. enjoyed it. Well, you know. Yeah, and as I, I, I am aware, of, you know, unfortunately, people in that line of work often have a bit of a gallows humor. Right. Um, well, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I, I let's just say I, I'm aware of this. Right. Um, from my own experiences, and so yeah. Yeah, but. Um, Kamala aside, right. because that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I used to use a good example was, you know, when we had um, Sarah Palin mm -hmm. and Hillary Clinton you know, oh, teaching God. women's studies. And I'm like, so we have to keep in mind, right? Like, both of these people are women, mm -hmm. right? But but you're going to have significantly different views yeah. from one or the other. Um, and one is probably going to be better for in terms of battling sexism and, and policy change, although, honestly, neither was particularly radical. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so... And I think it's the same, you know, like I said, representation matters, but it's not the sole thing. Right. right? It's, it's that, yeah, people are more likely if they've had these experiences to bring them up and mm -hmm. to try to make policies that maybe address them. But that doesn't necessarily mean it does. A, it doesn't mean they necessarily had the same experiences. Right. Because the experiences of a affluent African-American male who goes to Howard and gets a degree and all that and becomes a politician, he's going to have different experiences than, you know, somebody who is uh, living in poverty and, and barely finishes high school and right. all that. So, like, just because he's black doesn't mean he's had the same black experience. Mm -hmm. So, it's, you know, you have to get at the nuances there because people have... The more diverse representation there is, the mm -hmm. more likely we are. It doesn't mean we're definitely going to get it, but we're more likely to have things brought up like, hey, this policy does not address what it needs to address or you know like mm. i said hey we need to put buttons on the outside of the bathroom so right like <laughs> well that's um that's i i've come to this realization that nuance is the most important thing while at the same time it's the problem like right. the, the oh it's so much easier if yes you just be like you are x y and z yeah you are good or bad and that is it well um, in in politics the left is stuck with attempting to explain and convince highly nuanced subjects and all the right has to do is say no those that's like the two that are fighting against each other and that's why the left has it like so hard going uphill because how do you explain a nuanced thing such as critical race theory such as gender pronouns such as the difference between sex and gender explain all these things in a way that the 15 minute brain can compute 
when the other side is just saying no. Or the 30-second sound bites. Yes, which is the hardest thing in the world. Right. You know, that's just... <clears throat> I try to think about that sometime. Like, if they called you and said, hey, you're going to be on CNN in 30 minutes and you're going to have, you know, a minute to explain this, I'd be like... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't like being uh, in media, especially in, in little media interviews. Mm-hmm. I, I've often been like, oh, crap. Right. <laughs> Well, that was that was part of the going back to that was the whole reason why I started doing the podcast is I felt like right. long format yeah the, these long discussions because you know you say what you want as we keep talking about American history but in the past that was you know American politics was American politics it was also the form of entertainment and two people could sit on their front porch for four hours and discuss you know well because you had nothing else to do right. you know you didn't well, and they would discuss yeah and I think that's I think that's something that has changed is that. We now put, I mean, I actually, you know, had the experience of um, talking with someone who was a new acquaintance and um, when it came up that, you know, I was, I was not the same political party, they thanked me for being so kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, well, you're welcome, but like, that's a really fucked up thing. Right. That somebody would just like, right, that we're at a point where people expect that you're just going to be a total a-hole and just yell at them. Right. Like, I'm like, we can disagree. Like, right. Like, I would say like. Okay, so I'm a feminist, I'm queer, I'm, you know, anti If I was only friends with people who believed exactly as I do, mm-hmm. I would have no friends. Right. I wouldn't even be married to the person I'm married to, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> like, think about that. Like, I, I would have a very lonely existence. <clears throat> right. Um, and I think, you know, we're all helped when we can have those porch conversations. You know, I... I I love social media. I'm on social media, but I also think social media, we sometimes know too much about each other. Yeah. You know, like it, it when you didn't know your neighbor's political views, other than if they put a sign in their yard, it was kind of helpful because you could have a chat over a barbecue right, and yeah. somehow not bring up right, any yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Hey, have you seen, you know, you could talk about sports or the weather or whatever. We had all right. these mundane conversations that people would spend their whole lives Knowing their neighbors, but not knowing that they, you know, oh, you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. Well, I guess we'll never speak again. Yeah. Um, and I, I also, I mean, I, I absolutely see the place of, you know, when I'm talking to somebody who is like, I don't think you should exist. Yeah. I can't be friends with that person. Right. Right. I mean, I, and I, as, as somebody, as a bisexual woman, I've certainly mm-hmm. had, you know, the, the sudden realization like this is not something i can negotiate like you literally think i should not exist Mm -hmm. we have no area to like be like hey you watch baseball like right no no tigers yeah so Um, anyway yeah right so yeah not happening but but there's a lot of others right like i mean you and i let's face it we would not be friends Mm -hmm. if we had to agree now i think we would you know, no, I mean, but like, right, like, I mean, we've talked about the vegan hunter thing. Like, right, like, we don't. Oh, yeah, we yeah. We don't have to. American like, League, National League. Uh, yeah, for let's sure. Talk about the designated hitter rule. And right. <laughs> I love the designated hitter. Really? I love it. Oh, Watching pitchers bat is the most boring thing. <laughs> I, I get in fight. I get in arguments with my National League friends all the time because they're well, they're baseball purists. And I'm like, then you're a dinosaur. Because you're a rare gem. Dude. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. And, and. Yes, and and I feel like I should say what's in the corner there. Yeah. Just for your listeners. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, um, Julie's spouse Mike, who's a great guy, which I shouldn't say, is a Brewers fan, and the Cubs just got swept in Milwaukee. So as she comes down my driveway today, she's bringing a broom 
that has written on it, Cubs or Brewers Sweep Cubs, June thirtieth, twenty one. And I'm going to hold on to this until I have to return it with something else written on there. Yes, go Brewers. To be fair, half the Cubs lineup is on the injured list. Anyway. um. And and to be fair, I'm I'm actually a Tigers fan, but as as I'm married to a Brewers fan, Mm -hmm. they're they're my National League team. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, you know, I, and it was interesting. The one thing that, um, you know, I I appreciated, and and Mike and I had this discussion when he was over, is that there is not a single team that I hate because it's laundry, is really what it is. You know, like the Cubs, nobody on that team was born in Chicago. Milwaukee, nobody on that team was born in Milwaukee. Right. You know, so deciding whether I like or hate. I have certain players I don't like. And I was just commenting to a couple of friends of mine the other day about how much my distaste for the Brewers is now greatly reduced now that Ryan Braun is no longer on the team. Because he was as a human being I just did not like. Christian Yelich, he's phenomenal. Oops. He's a great human being, too. I have no hatred for him whatsoever than the fact that the Cubs should have pursued him harder, and the Brewers got him. That's the only, you know. He's but, the one uh, that got away. Yeah, he is. He's the, you know, instead, I don't, yeah, I'm not getting into it. But um, <laughs> but that's, you know, and I feel, but you're right. There, there's, there's this tendency to, like, I think, to believe that it'd be great if we could discuss politics with people the way we discuss baseball. The difference is there's a line. Right. You know, there's a line when it comes to politics. If, if I bring you a broom... Because yeah. the Brewers swept the Cubs, I'm not saying you don't have the right to exist, right. vote, or or go about your life. <laughs> you brought a broom. You didn't put a cross in my front yard, right? Right. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's funny, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's all in good, in, yeah. But um, and and our our allegiance, as much as you know, um, we might feel a lot of in group, out group affiliations for people who happen to be wearing the same jerseys as mm-hmm. us um which is ridiculous really when you think about it, right like right. i i am not a member of the detroit tigers right <laughs> not even close mm-hmm. and yet you know i feel like i'm part of this team and right I cheer for them and i get mad at people wearing the wrong shirt yeah i cut a lot of slack to the people wearing the right shirts mm-hmm. you know i remember when i was pregnant some random dude in miller park came up to me and was like rubbing my belly which was like right <laughs> But he was wearing a Tigers jersey. <laughs> so I was like, whatever, it's cool. Uh, yeah, you're um, part of the tribe. Right, so. you, get to, you get to random and drunkenly rub my belly. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, but but I think that's the thing with, with politics. It's become almost tribal. Yeah. And, you know, once upon a time, if I said I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, you would have to then ask me, well, what are your views on immigration? And what are your views on abortion? And what are your views on yeah, taxation, yeah. right? Like, you'd have to ask me all these questions because it wouldn't necessarily be known from mm. those labels, right? We're at a point where, like I said, somebody was was glad I was kind to them because I happened to have a different label. Right. Um, that's, we're, we're in a weird spot with that. Well, it kind of becomes that thing where, like, if you don't know somebody, and I'm not specifically saying you... But somebody meets somebody and they're told, oh, that person's a Democrat. All of a sudden, this entire checklist in their brain, they believe this, 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 all the way down. Like, you just automatically make those assumptions. Whereas they may feel on a scale of 1 to 10 differently on a lot of those different things. You know, I tell people all the time, it drives me nuts. Like, call me a liberal. Don't call me a Democrat. You call me a Democrat, we're going to come to blows. I've got a lot of issues with the Democratic Party. I'm not going to get into it. Am I a liberal progressive? Yes. Sometimes Karl Marx blushes. I'm just going to say it, you know, but 
But um, yeah, we make those assumptions about people. And I think a lot of people, just like you said, and it's probably why that guy said that, you kind of have the belief that the opposition is evil, that they don't, they're un-American, they don't care, they just want to yada, 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 yada. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was kind of like, who have you interacted with? Right. So you're basing that on, mm-hmm. like, I'm sorry that some other Democrats have apparently been awful people. Right. Um, because I'm nice, you know, mm-hmm. and I have no reason to, like, you know, yell at you in the middle of a party. Like, right. Seems, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but. Well, there's, um, I think social media and media in general has something to do with that, too. Right. Because, like I said, it's kind of amplified yeah. things. And. Because you kind of tend to put yourself in a bubble. You're right. You kind of put yourself in your own bubble in social media. The pages that you follow, the things right. that you like, and they, you know, sort of tend to portray. Of course, they can't be like, you know, we disagree with those liberals, but gosh, they're nice people. Right. You know, they can't exactly they're say so that. Sweethearts. You know, they, it, they love dogs and cats. Right. It's those American hating baby killers. You know, it always gets framed in some, you know, less than right. fashionable light. But, um, well, we are. I think we are. We're definitely. We're definitely good on time. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we shut it down? Oh God, there's always so much. Well, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not in a hurry. So if you got something, I was going to say. I mean, that's we probably ought to keep it. Keep it to a tight. Yeah. Tight topic. Right. Wander off. Well, it's not like you won't be back. You're you're the uh, you're the show's first. I feel like I'm the perennial guest. Yeah, you're the you're the first three, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. I've had uh um, well, yeah. repeat. Do I yeah. get a special like ring or t shirt? When you get to five, you get a jacket. It's a like me- on Saturday Night Live. It's like a me- yeah. Like the five timers. It's like a members only gotcha. sort of jacket thing. Can it be an actual members only jacket? <laughs> I, it's gonna depend upon what Goodwill has. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> we'll get a patch so on. This is nice. They often have some good stuff. They really do. They, they really do. I went and bought a bunch of uh, kids' clothes there not that long ago. Yes, Twice as nice is not sponsoring the show. No, so they're not. Just, I don't. Just a shout out to them. They're yeah. And they have good clothes. Yeah, I'm not. I got contacted the other day for the third time by somebody who wanted to sponsor my podcast, but it was. Some company in Germany that sells wristwatches, and I just ghosted it. I'm like, whatever. I don't know. They Those things always... There's always... Well, you know how it is with the social media trend right now, and everybody's trying to be an influencer. Right. And so there's all these companies out there that will, like, blanket, like, a thousand people and give them all a free watch to talk about how great their watches or something, and I'm See, like... I think I'm an influencer because I have a child, and that means <laughs> I can completely influence her entire world. Oh, yeah. Like, you will be wearing this. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. I'm just pouring knowledge into their brains every day that nobody else will tell You're them. Wear those shoes because I'm tired of tying the other ones. Right. That is my influencer aspect, and that is the most important influence you have every day. You know, and so, much less influence than I really probably care to admit. I don't know. We'll find out. A lot of we'll tell when she gets older. True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll uh, I'll shut this thing down once again. Julie, thank you so much for coming. Thank I, you. I have no doubt that uh, we will do this again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and in the meantime, go Tigers, go Brewers. Be go, kind to each other. Go Cubs, go Bears, love one another. Okay, <laughs> bye-bye. All right, everyone. So that was the episode with Julie. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you're enjoying this podcast, and I really hope you are, if you could do me a favor, please like and subscribe. Uh, let your friends know about it. Share it, all that good stuff. And... If you're listening to this on an Apple device, up in the right-hand corner, there is a spot to leave a review. If you could do that, it would be amazing. Every little bit of this helps. But that's all I got for you today. We will be back with another episode soon. Um, But before I go, I want to tell everyone I hope you're good. I love you. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time.